0: Yo, 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 yo. we have a sound check. Hello, is anybody listening? Probably not. It's just John. <laughs> Welcome to the official second episode of. I think we're gonna call it for now the OG podcast with the OG. And with me today, we have our first guest. <laughs> Hi guys. My name is David. I also play D&D with Theo, and uh, yeah, I, he really wanted me to do this podcast because guests are always fun. Yeah, I want to thank you for being on, mostly because initially he said that the only reason he would be on is if he beat me in a best of seven series of Chell, and I lost, and he was kind enough to come on anyways. So this is re- really just a gift to the, the listeners, the, the viewership. Yeah, uh, we got a lot of fan mail coming in, requesting Dave on. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're definitely our most requested guest. I would, I would say, like, it's probably because of my amazing D&D play style. And uh, yeah. How much experience I have as a DM. Certainly, yeah, just whomping me night after night, session <laughs> after session. I actually think that I started playing D&D before you, though. Like, I was, I was exposed to it back in high school, actually. Who did you play with? Um, I used to play with a couple of guys that I went to high school with, um, they were way more experienced than I was, and when I mean experienced, like, they pretty much knew the handbook off by heart. Um, if you, like, just had a question about a monster, they could tell you, like, the exact stats, so it was always nice, I guess, having that person to go back to. Yeah. What was your character back then? Uh, actually a barbarian. Really? Yeah. I used to use a barbarian, um, and a paladin. I really used to like the melee characters. Never really experimented much with the magic, because I was kind of intimidated, I guess, with the spell casting. Who was your first character? Uh, fuck! What was his name? I just know it was it was literally an orc, and it was also a barbarian. Was he a bookie like Carl? No, he was like just like the stereotypical like barbarian who didn't know anything about manners or like how to act in public. Super just aggressive. Just and, yeah, an animal. Like an absolute... Just what you'd find... What do you expect to find in the forest? Um, When was the first time that you DM'd? Was that after we had started playing together? That's after we started playing. Yeah. And you guys... Well, you finally wanted to be a player. Yeah. Or get more Uh, of an opportunity to be a player, I guess. Yeah. I said on the last pod that Nathan DM'd two sessions for me. And I had, you know, one of the best experiences I've ever had with D&D... And so I just wanted to, you know, make a player that I could really flesh out and spend some time with because I saw you guys all make your inside jokes and um, get new items and stuff like that. And I was always, you know, sort of the distributor of those uh, items. So I wanted to take a turn on the other side of the screen. The most creative DM is you. Is me? Vic Theo. 100%. Um, We had a fully improv session last night. (laughs) Just got a little bit crazy. Came in with absolutely no preparation and just w- saw where it took us. The key to a good improv session, I think, is always the amount of alcohol you have at your disposal. Fair. Unfortunately, we had a lot more weed than alcohol. Yeah. But we did go down to Joe's for a pitcher of Belgian Moon. <laughs> the pitcher and also the Blue Lagoon helped me. Yeah, you had two blue-themed drinks. <laughs> had to be with the oranges both also came with oranges very good both are very good but um not as good as our session i think (sighs) yeah that was those sessions are some of the most memorable i think because you're one-offs because you just do i find one of the one-off sessions you just do things you never would normally do in a big session that's going to continue on yeah i know so you really get to push the boundaries Like, yesterday we tried to, like, basically burn down an entire forest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a forest village that lived in the trees, and uh, John decided to create bonfire at the base of the tree and burn down an innocent uh, woman who fell to her death. I was not expecting John to play the druid like he did. He was a lot more destructive. Yeah, not very druidic, (laughs) but... Maybe should have taken some inspiration from the shaman, who was very peaceful. You guys were like, we were. you didn't even know why you were attacking him at first. You were like, where's the bicycle? I think uh, my short-term memory was a little bit affected by whatever I was consuming last night. <laughs> yeah, those are the most memorable sessions, but also the sessions you can't remember. The sessions that you need to do the outlandish things to remember because the inebriation doesn't really help you. <laughs> <laughs> memory at all the inebriation yes we got that session tonight big session coming up tonight boys are gonna fight their hardest fight so far against a god is this probably like the most you have put into a session in terms of planning do you think or? no i would say that one of the the most effort i put into a session was maybe the palm reading one I remember, like, it felt like you did, like, hours of research just to do, like, the different palm readings. I kind of did. (laughs) (laughs) I went on this one website and read just a bunch of stuff about the different creases and what the different, like, mounds mean. How long your fingers are and, like, the texture of your hands and stuff. And it was funny because it was just, like, a a one-off NPC that we never saw again. Yeah, I know. But it was equally as intriguing because, like... We were sitting there learning about the backgrounds of our characters, and we got to talk more about that. Yeah, because one of them was, like, you were holding in, like, a secret or something to Thurmond, and then later on in the session, or maybe it was the next session, he confessed about um, Argo being, uh, you know, disappeared from history. Mm -hmm. And Argo was, like, this guy in our campaign who was, like, this wannabe pirate, but really he was just (laughs) a loser. (laughs) just posed as this... He was basically a fisherman, right? Yeah, he was a fisherman who really (laughs) really wanted to be a pirate. Which was kind of... Well, it was hilarious. (laughs) Just wanted to show off to his old buddy, Thurmond. And he ended up getting erased from the campaign. and all of our players' memories, except for Thurmond's. Yeah, that was a little punishment for Thurmond. We've had some, like, really, like, outlandish ideas, I feel like, for our campaigns. Some of them... Some of them are crazier than others. Some of them are inspired from the DMs, but a lot of them are inspired from the players too in the direction that they want to take the campaigns because one of the biggest things in our campaign is that Thurmond is the best chef in the world. True. Not only is he like a crazy monk, but he also just makes the best soup. He has a lot of different titles in that campaign. He's collecting titles for sure. Also has a lot of drip. Some really good fashion sense. He's got the pirate hat and the eye patch. He has a laser pistol, which is pretty cool. He also has a crown now. He's a king. Oh, yeah. He doesn't wear the pirate hat, right? Because he gave it to Cranky. He did give it to our little monkey man in the party. Yeah. He is an actual monkey. That's not a... (laughs) Yeah. Let's not not get that edited out. Yeah, I'm not trying to get canceled (laughs) when someone listens to this in four years from now. Hey, hey, listen. We We all know what we were really talking about there. I'm not that kind of guy. Shout out to our Day Ones. (laughs) Shout out to the Day One listeners. Like, you guys are what keeps the dream alive. Yeah. Day Ones is actually a tier on my GoFundMe. (laughs) I'm trying to hire an artist for the cover art, if you know anyone. We're still slacking, though, on the uh, the music here. John's an artist. Is he? Yeah. I never knew that. He's like graphic design shit. John, if you're listening, um, why don't you come up with some art for us, please? Something with an O and a G. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to actually go with that once this thing... If we're making art for the bish, she better have a serious name. It's got to have something that really is memorable. Something that we were trying to say the search engines will love. We could try to come up with a name right now on the podcast. Uh, I feel like it, it would be organic like that. It would be like a, just a conversation yeah, I mean, would just pop up and it would have to stick. Yeah, well, we can just brainstorm. I think if I was to come up for, with a name on the spot, it would not nearly be as good if I was just sitting back and planning like I normally do with my sessions. I was thinking of calling it In the Den. The Den? Yeah, like drag, like a dragon den. Like, you're in the den. You're, you're about to... It's kind of like Dragon's Den, but that's already a thing, maybe. Like, if Dragon's Den wasn't a show about business, that would be a sick name for this podcast. I always love just the thought of fighting a dragon in D&D, so... Yeah. Having a podcast also with that potential theme is dope. I remember Nathan's girlfriend wanted to be the dragon (laughs) during our first dragon fight. And I was prepared to let her. And so I wrote out a bunch of advice for her on this, like this doc. And I was going to send it to her. And then I think Nathan messaged me and was like, you know what, it seems like this is a, a big role to fill so maybe she'll just watch or something That's true. and then she did come in a watch which uh, I guess this is a another topic we can dive into a little segue um, how do you feel about playing D&D or role-playing when there are people around you who don't play um, you have to be a patient person in that situation because like d really there is a lot of rules to it. Depending on the group that you're playing with, some people can be a lot more strict with those rules. Yeah. I personally am the kind of guy who would be open to new players. I don't mean new players. I mean, like, people who... Like, let's say your parents were, like, in the next room and they're, you know, like, listening to your roleplay and stuff. Do you, <sighs> do you not care about that? Or are you kind of like, I don't want to fully commit to the voices and stuff because, uh, you know, it might be a little bit embarrassing. It's... It's something I'm kind of nervous about, I guess. Yeah. I, I, it kind of gives me some embarrassment. I shouldn't, though. It, it's it's just be something like you fully embrace because that passion kind of seeps out. Yeah, you're the only person who's really, you know, get limiting yourself like that. So if you just uh, commit to it, then you can definitely have more fun with it instead of being shy and stuff like that. So, yeah, living at my parents' house all summer definitely gave me some of that sometimes. I was like, whatever, like, me and John are having a good time. Uh, we're just gonna commit to it and uh who cares if they hear me do like these stupid goblin voices are like you must pay to pray <laughs> i remember um we we had a couple sessions there where you were dming and your sisters would interrupt how how does that how do you deal with that i guess like how do you deal with the derailment does it really bother you take like getting pulled out of the immersion yeah um sometimes it does take me out of because I'll be, like, on a roll or, like, saying something, and then you just have to be like, okay, where was I? And then you go through your page or whatever, and you have to find... We're like, okay, what initiative order were we at? Who just oh, went? That's the worst. When you forget who did what in combat. And you be like, oh, wait, I already rolled that. That's what's on the table or whatever. Like, I don't need to roll for this or something. I don't know. It does kind of pull you out a little bit. I also... I don't think it's the end of the world, but that's why I think it would be sick to have, like... If, like, you, me, and... Uh, Nate, and John always talks about coming up to Nova Code, like, driving out here when the regulations are better. That's and another good question, though. That what? just reminds me. Like, we always have the sessions where it's on, like, Facebook Messenger. Like oh, yeah, chat. that's a huge thing, because that was never really a thing pre-COVID. I mean, like, if we would have done it because I was at home, yeah. but now that I'm... I guess, and Nathan lives... Kind of far away now. Kind of far away now, too, but... Um, a lot of the sessions that we've done, like, I don't think, I haven't been a player in person since Nathan DM'd for me. That's kind of crazy to think about. I know, I haven't rolled, like, a nat 20 in front of someone or something, you know what I mean? It also kind of brings out the, are you fudging the rolls or not, right? Which is a conversation I think that's important. Yeah, um it's really tempting. I think it's a lot more tempting as a player because as the DM, uh, you can kind of just be like, okay, well, this encounter was easier than I thought or uh, I'll have to think of a way to save them here, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Whereas a player, if you're throwing death saves and that nat one comes up and you're the only one in the room, you're like, do what? I have, to, I have to honor the game. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to be the guy who lets your teammate down. So you're like, oh, I kind of want to fudge this. Just yeah. a couple more points. It'll yeah. definitely pass the DC. Like that, this. that one dragon fight that we had when Tyrion was the only one up with two HP. <sighs> I was like, that is incredibly lucky. But the, I... Okay, I'm not going to lie. I fudged my rolls a couple times throughout that campaign. But like, yeah. I think everybody does. Even when you're in person, it's pretty easy to fudge. yeah. And like I guess if you really want to and and if you didn't pass that role then you're not gonna have a good time then you know, what like I'm the, we're not trying to have a bad time here, so I'm not gonna, you know, scold you for that or whatever. Like or like you like a hawk. Yeah, but I mean like whatever whatever helps, you know, you have a better time. Exactly. I think that's the main part of it. D and D is back to like being embarrassed about it. It's like something that you can get so much enjoyment out of. But people put such a stigma on it. Yeah, I know. Because, like, it's just associated with that, like, nerd culture. Which I don't think is fair. You've got to give things a proper chance because there's a lot of different... There's, like, a lot of different skills you use in the India that I think are important. Yeah, it's a lot of thinking on your feet and, um... Writing in general. Yeah, like, there's been a lot of research and writing that's gone on to the campaign that we're doing. Um, and it's also just really, like, satisfying to go through... Like the reason I like having that physical book for my DM notes is flipping through it and being like, oh, I remember like this, uh, you know, sometimes I'll just flip through and land on a page and just read what was going on at that point in the campaign. And um, it's really fun to just keep those notes around and uh, reflect back on them because there's such specific memories that go along with, you know, you can pull out what you were doing or... Uh, where you were while this was happening in the campaign and stuff like that well my notes if I was to do them handwritten would not be legible so that's why I prefer to stick to computer and like just type everything yeah it is a lot neater that way but then I also don't like looking at my laptop too much while I play because I feel like that sometimes pulls me out a little bit Ooh, I can see that um, I, I mean, like I struggle when I'm like in these virtual classes right now at school to like concentrate cause I'm always on my phone at the same time. Yeah, I know. We're playing RuneScape. <laughs> That's another thing. Well, that kind of actually makes up one of my, or brings me to another point of the conversation here because I want to know about your inspirations. My me, inspirations, uh, a lot of it is definitely Nadpod, just because of the amount of time I've put into listening to it. And the amount of enjoyment I have in listening to their playstyle because they find that perfect balance of being serious and respecting the game. Not only like respecting the story, but like respecting the mechanics of the game and wanting to figure out new ways to like outsmart their DM and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really fun playstyle, but they also are all just really hilarious and good at improv. So I guess that's what I sort of would aspire to be. I don't pull a lot of inspiration in terms of what I'm writing necessarily because, well, I know that Nathan has listened to all of it as well. Yeah. But But Nathan hasn't read all those gothic books that you inspired. Yeah, so so I would say (laughs) for ideas, a lot of it is literature and stuff because that's easy to just a setting from the monastery I've read books where the main settings are monasteries so I can go in there and pull out a description or at least base my description on what they say um, so uh, mo- more recently with the stuff that's been going on with the King and the Stopwatch and now like Nebrio and stuff like that I don't think that's necessarily a reference from anything I think it's fun to also just create your own story instead of... the f- Like, the first half of our campaign was a, v- a reflection of Frankenstein, in a way. Yeah. And that was fun, because we did our own take on it. Yeah. And now we've just m- moved on where we've created this thing that's so different from everything else, that to try to insert something at this later on in would feel like you're just in a whole different world that doesn't really make sense. I can see where you're coming from Like, if I wanted to take inspiration from, like, a desert scene or something like that, or it wouldn't really fit well into the world because I haven't really established that that's part of it. It's all been, like, pretty lush jungle and then... Or, like, dead jungle and then islands and stuff like that, so... I think once you find the rhythm of your campaign, then it, then you can stick with it and you don't really have to draw that initial inspiration because you've already got it. you kind of put me in a a different space now. I'm thinking like, as a DM, you, everyone has a distinct style for sure. Yeah. But do you think it's better to stay now to like one setting, like one sort of general like sort of theme or just like setting? Yeah. Um, I think it's nice to get little breaks in every once in a while. We had the islands where you guys got to hang out in some ice caves, and there was that bowl-shaped island that was a unique setting that you can't really just have in the middle of a continent. So those are fun little breaks to take. I really think it depends on the scenarios, you know? Like, I think the scenario that you want to craft can sometimes drastically change the setting. Because yeah. that whole bowl-shaped island, I feel like you thought about that flooding. Oh, yeah. And and immediately. Just, like, that was the whole scenario. I'm sure yeah. as soon as you guys pulled up to it, you're like, we're going to have to go to the middle, and then it's going to flood, and we're going to have to get out of here. It's just so obvious, but yeah, uh, you got to deal with it. you still got to think about it. Like, you get one session, we pull up to this island, and we're like, oh, fuck, a new island. And then you're like, well, it's actually shaped like a bowl. Yeah, and I mean like you're sitting there in that moment you're like fuck well this is flood probably what's gonna happen but it's gonna f- get flushed like a toilet the thing is as a DM you never know where the session's gonna go I think you were talking about the last pod like you shouldn't plan like two or three far. sessions ahead yeah because then you then that's I think when railroading sort of comes in is is when you set so many checkpoints that you're uh, that you want your players to hit and you're forcing them to go to, from A to B to C, then I think that's a little bit of what you get when people complain about railroading. And your players try to burn down a whole forest and kill everyone. <laughs> yeah, whereas <laughs> railroading isn't taking what happened last session and then planning ahead for what's going to happen and saying, they're going to meet this person, this person is, and this person is going to give them a quest. We'll see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. Because how else is it, we can do completely improv, uh, sessions, but there's something not satisfying narratively about them. I, um, I really like to plan out, though, like, different, like, species and stuff that I want to be, like, specific to my campaign. Like, one of the things I did want to do in mine was, like, make every animal be able to speak, like, common, for example. Oh, yeah. I, I loved... That circus scene that I set up for you guys. Yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> that world that you get to have, I think, in your world, there's a little bit more room for fun stuff because you didn't start it in a gothic setting where the trees are just hanging on and there's two weeks every year where it's just pitch black. So you get to have like a circus with a little uh, lion turtle creature on it. And literally, like the line, like the bearded woman I put in there was like an I think she was orc, orcish or something. Yeah, <laughs> and there's they're both just they're just two different styles of campaigns, and that's the fun part about us. We like we did it where we were, like switching DMS every like couple of sessions, but then. We've been kind of like taking this really long, deep dive into your campaign just because it's like getting to the, like the climax of it. Yeah. It's kind of, it would be unsatisfying to just leave it now and then come back to it in say two months and have to remember where we were for the climax of the story. It just doesn't really make sense to. We built up so, so high. We have to finish. We have to follow through. Yeah. No one likes to have to wait for next season. True. No one likes a cliffhanger. No one likes a cliffhanger. All right, why don't we move on to this question here. What do you, as a DM, fear? As a DM, I fear, and this is a big thing, I think you talked about last pod, was um, just like, um, what am I trying to say here? Like when you get rules wrong, for example, and you feel like you're holding up your party. Yeah. For me... I'm someone that, like, I would like to have my notes always, like, near me because there's a lot of rules in D&D. And I feel like my brain, I just forget a lot of things. Yeah. Especially, like, when you're in combat, for example, and, like, you forget exactly what happens when someone's, like, incapacitated, for example. Yeah, I always keep up the conditions sheet because that's something that comes up so often. There's so many uh, very... There's like one for inca- incapacitation, there's one for being prone, there's one for being paralyzed. One for being charmed, I think. What, yeah. There's so many that are very similar when you're in a state of not being able to move. Sometimes you're conscious, sometimes you're not. What can you do when you're conscious? What f- saving throws do you automatically fail? True. So if you you get to these very specific scenarios where you're casting you know, charm person on someone who is paralyzed, do they automatically fail or do they still have this chance to throw? So I get what you mean where having to look this stuff up definitely like slows down the game. I think that's also just like a human thing. You just don't want to look stupid in front of people, right? Like it's yeah. just an innate sort of feeling you get. But at the same time, you shouldn't be scared because like you, you only get more experience by having, that, like, opportunity come up. Yeah, it's so much to expect your DM to just memorize th- every single condition, and... But it comes with time. Like, you will... Like, uh, you'll end up knowing, like, oh, like, these... Sor-, for example, like, for my sorcerer, like, I now I know, like, the best spells to use for scenarios. Yeah. And how to use, like, counter spell. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of... This. Spells is a whole other thing as a DM, because your players can throw some bullshit at you, oh. and you have to completely understand... How that spell works, because you got spells coming at you from maybe a warlock, you got ranger spells coming at you, you got, you know, some sorcery bullshit coming at you, you got sorcery points coming at you. I honestly think that being any sort of spellcaster is so much more interesting than just using straight melee. I was finding yesterday when I was using my barbarian, I was just like sitting there like, man, like, I'm so like one dimensional. Yeah, I get what you mean. And it's not that... I think there are fun flavors of the fighter. I think monk is a fun... Fun melee. Sort yeah. Of guy. Where you get to use stuff like key points. hmm There are certain little attributes that different races have, I guess, in d d Like, um, relentless endurance is pretty sick for the barbarians. Yeah. Um... Orcs, just in general, are pretty tough, too. Half-orcs, as as well. Mm -hmm. Um, What's some of your fears that you have as a DM? I don't know if this is a fear, maybe more of a concern, is finding the balance, and I think it comes up mostly because I'm preparing a huge encounter, is knowing whether or not death should be on the table. Yeah, like, how much plot armor do you give? Exactly, because you can only... I think you can only play so long a campaign where everyone's just fine before you're like, what's at stake here? We're just... It's like a TV show where you start the session, uh-oh, there's a problem, you work your way through it, by the end, everyone's frenzy and and, every, and no, one, no one got hurt. Yeah, like, I remember... There's so many seasons of like Game of Thrones where you're just like, Jon Snow should have died there, or Jaime Lannister should have drowned because he's wearing full armor, and mm-hmm. he just was in a huge body of water. There's no way he's yeah. going to swim up. Then again, I don't know. the. There's a difference between killing off NPCs and killing off players. But I, there should always be a risk on the table. That's what I think as well. And so that comes into account when you're playing the difficulty of the uh, encounter itself. Because... You know, you come up with a uh, mechanic that's really OP, like the King's stopwatch, that you could could use as a legendary action to re-roll something. You guys... That was a sick item, by the way. I just wanted to make that a point. I I think the, the (laughs) the biggest thing about that item was that it flipped Gwen's age forward, and she died. So you immediately lost your cleric. Now you have someone who's really good at melee, and... Can cast six level spells against two elves and a monkey. That really rattled me when going. It always rattles me losing like an NPC that you've had for so long, and that's the another thing I love about D and D is like you get these characters that you create that you literally love like anything better than like a TV show. I know it definitely <laughs> is a lot better. Like it's probably because of that increased engagement that you have with. That it's character. literally you, not you, literally you. But it's. part of you yeah your thoughts your, your your desires as this character in this fantasy world and because your characters care so much to you as a dm when you're picking who the bad guy wants to cast the spell on and you know okay if i cast this spell here it's gonna automatically give this person two death saving fails and his character is just dead. This character he's been using since April, who we've spent so much time with, is just dead. And uh, see you next time. Bring a new character. We'll try to fit him in. Maybe it'll ruin the campaign. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll completely shift the campaign. Exactly. And now this new character doesn't have as much investment in the story. Yeah. They're just trying to get to know everyone. And it's like... Come on, we we're trying to we're trying to fight this god and you're, you know, just getting to know us. You know, that seems like unsatisfying a little bit. I think as players sometimes though, you got to realize that your DM is trying to make this difficult. Yeah, for and sure. You can I shouldn't I shouldn't fear it, but I feel like they're going to like hate me if I kill someone off. Like when I killed John's character off in my campaign. Well, really we both did. I mean, <laughs> Your characters were kind of like, kind of clashing anyway, so I thought it made sense narratively. Yeah. But I also was like fearful because I was like, man, like, John's probably like, he really loves Keistus. Yeah, that was the first character he spent a really a lot of time with, so. And he's also a new player, and that was another thing for me. I was like, fuck, like, I don't want to do this to the new guy and, like, make him hate it. I know. But I think that it's a good thing to remind the players, just like, yeah, like, this can happen, man. This could be a result, and you got to deal with that. I think what I usually try to do. Is death is not on the table unless you do something stupid or the dice are unlucky. Let's just say Keistus did a few questionable actions that Nimbus was a fan of. (laughs) Let's say that fight where Nimbus had three nat 20s in a row rolled against him. Let's say that was in a fight where there were stakes. And you're just like, well, sorry, Nimbus is dead. He just got crit on three times in a row. The odds of that are one in eight thousand, but it happened, and uh, I know you spent hours creating this character, but too bad. I know this race was really cool, and you were looking at it for a while. What a fudge to suck! <laughs> would you have fudged those rolls? You were the one rolling it as a DM. I know, end. but if you if you were the DM there, would you have fudged the rolls if it was like a big at like high stakes situation? I think that rolling three nat twenties in a row is so insane that if you fudge that you don't like nat 20s i love a new nat 20 rule as well where you crit that you automatically do max damage on what you would have rolled and then you roll your the additional think. damage it's so yeah because like it just makes those criticals that much more satisfying yeah it also makes if a minion crits then he can then do a bunch of damage even like a little lackey yeah the you guys had a boss yesterday and four minions and the minions were doing almost more damage than the boss. In fact, they definitely did. Yeah. In the end, there was just yeah, we were getting destroyed by them. <laughs> it did get close because it was just you two. Mhm. I also you could have had Kyle, he has a character sheet. Well, one thing I was going to say is Um, You were talking about in the last podcast about how it's a lot easier to maintain, obviously, like a two-person campaign. Yeah. What do you feel, like, are you starting to prefer, like, lower player counts for that reason? I think I am just because you get to spend so much more time focusing on the players and letting them really stretch their legs Mm -hmm. and grow into their characters and interact with the world because I think that when you have parties of like five or six, it becomes a lot about how you're interacting with the group and stuff like that. And just also just fighting to have your voice heard because you have five other people in the DM talking over you. Another part of like having high player counts when you're in a virtual space, like you're talking on Facebook Messenger, it's it's difficult because you're, you might have people with internet problems. Someone's audio is loop looping it back someone's mic is on too loud and it's like very loud compared to everyone else. Like there's yeah. something the so that you want to turn up. your volume up but then this one dude blares in your ears every time. Exactly. And in person that's obviously not as much of an issue and that's where the bigger sessions are more fun. I think. The big person sessions are the, the sessions with a lot of people that you have in person are a lot of fun because you just have everyone having some drinks oh. rolling some dice. It was such an event. It was an event. I think that's one of the things I really liked about D&D when we first got into it, because we did it every Thursday. Now we can't really do that just because... I mean, I'm sure we could. Yeah, it would still help. Well, okay, John works nights sometimes, though, so it would be hard to have him work his schedule around that. Everyone just needs to come to Nova Scotia again. Yeah, everyone just needs to quit their jobs and play D&D every Thursday night. I think that's the best possible outcome here. Yeah. Why don't we all just do that? (laughs) Let's just get served for D&D players. (laughs) If you play D&D, you get some cash back from the feds. And you get a free set of dice every session. I, I still don't have a physical set of dice. You can have... You can take a set back with you. That'd be sick. Cool. Um... Well, two-person, two two-player campaigns, I, th- I like it because it just seems, you know, the campaign that you, me, and Nate have is so, like, intimate. And I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean it in a way that we've spent so much time with those characters and they've really had all the room they want to explore... Every NPC that they encounter, they have their own personal connection to. And they're also twin brothers, so there's a connection to the characters that innately is already there. Like that session, that throwback session that we had the other day, was so fun because you guys just imagined the dynamic that two young twins would have if one of them was magical and one of them wasn't. Obviously you guys are gonna if one of them going to be going at each other. <laughs> you're going to be going at each other the whole time. It was... Another thing I loved about that session was just, like... You flash back to, like, all the scenarios you had in public school, in a way. Like, it flashes exactly. back a lot of memories.
1: You, and
0: it makes it that much more emotional when you're in the session. It's easy to, for you to insert yourself into it, or at least imagine what it would be like. Like, you can recall your own memories, or you can easily easily put yourself in that chair, at in the desk... The get to the method acting of it. The all. teachers going around to you, trying to get you to cast a cantrip, and the only one you know how to cast is control water, and you just instantly know how it feels to be in a classroom and not know what's going on and feel like everyone else is just getting it. Um, that session was hilarious. We put me and Nate pulled off so many pranks in class. I know. Yeah, you guys. You guys just instantly hopped into the roles of just two rowdy brothers who cause a lot of chaos for their teacher who are probably too smart for their own good probably yes because they're being played by 22 year olds <laughs> <laughs> you guys kept swearing in class it's like this is a classroom you guys are 14 years old we do not swear at each other <laughs> honestly like it was so it was so fun just to act in that and role play that was that was why i really think we should have just a full on campaign as a high school that's the other thing is that playing people who are like 14, 15, 16 is so funny because you can have them be like, I want to pull out my flask and it's like, oh, you can't drink. All the adults around you are just going to start adulting and you just get to be a little rebel child. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's so funny to have the kid just be like, yeah, like slash. I don't know how, he old, how old he was, but he was just chain smoking the whole time and I don't think anyone ever did question it, but it's so funny for just a kid to be smoking. There were so many times that we just like were trolling Nathan because, like, he would have just. What was it? Like the foreskin jokes we would make? Oh my god. We rolled to see how big his dick was, I think. And he rolled a nat one. But he's a halfling. He didn't re roll it. He's lucky. Oh my God, Nathan! Dude. If you're listening to this, re-roll your dick size. <laughs> you're a half-length. You are a half like you re-roll the ones. Oh my God, <laughs> the missed the missed opportunity. We'll have to put something in the chat about it. One hundred percent. I um, I kind of want to go back to that campaign, especially if we could play it in person. Yeah, we got all the boys together. You Which? know. Could be possible if... I don't Nathan think guy. any of those guys are going to listen to this, so I think I can say that if Nathan is coming down to Nova Scotia, we're definitely doing a session of uh, West Area. The classic West Area. As much as I would love to get back together with those guys, the sessions that we have in that campaign are just too wild to have a session where Andrew's just fucking around the whole time. Well, I mean, it's kind of be expected with the yeah. group of friends that we have. Oh, had. I know, and because it's expected. I'd so much rather have like, a a two-and-a-half-hour-long campaign with you guys where we can just fuck around. we man, like... Or not even fuck around. Do the opposite of fuck around. The thing about... If we go back to, like, the whole, like, two-person party versus, like, the bigger party that we had in person, um, it used to, like, just be a lot of waiting around at times when you're in the big party, which is maybe something that, that, like, isn't super... um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Like, it's not intriguing, I guess, as a player... When you're waiting to around So you have like to that. wait? Yeah. Like it's mean, not interesting. It's kind of, like, monotonous. If you're gonna be the hero of a story, it takes away from it a little bit if there's five other heroes. Yeah. And, and especially, like, in combat when you're waiting for all those initiatives to go by. That was something that I tried to do a lot in that campaign was give everyone a different flavor entirely. Like, I remember in the last session of that campaign... When you After you guys had defeated the big boss I did a line for each of them I was like Carl the orc Who was kicked out of his tribe Is now one of the smartest and strongest warriors In all the land Then you had uh, Slash Who went from having no last name To a band of good friends And a really cool rat And then there was who else was, uh, there was the dwarf, Tor, Torum? Torum. Torum went from being a slave at the beginning to the king of Phandalin. It was funny, because I remember you guys kept making this, like, a running joke that, like, it was orcs that put Tormund in slavery. Yeah. And I was, like, the only orc in the party. Yeah, and someone, someone else, maybe, it was Mitch's character that he made, had, had a rough history with Orcs or something. Oh, Nathan just texted. He said 8 to 9.30 for the session. Ooh. Uh, we got a big boss fight coming, ladies and gentlemen. Let's just say it's going to be... It's probably going to freak me out a bit. I just texted Nathan, can you call? Maybe he'll come on the podcast. As a guest? As a surprise guest. We need a phone. We are on the pod. This guy needs to phone in. This guy doesn't need to phone in. Um, the D and D pod is going to be a staple, I think. You think it's going to be a staple? It's going to be something that I feel like D and D is going to get more and more popular. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more and more a part of my life to the point where I would hold on, Nathan. What's he saying? he said I said can you call we are on the pod he said driving and I said so yes so yes we are not advocating hands free driving we are not advocating for being on the phone and driving we are advocating for hands free driving yeah. so yes he says "Nope." alright good call well you know sometimes we can't get the guests on that we really desire but we're we're working towards it someday we'll, someday we'll get Nathan on here someday we'll get the people from the pod on the podcast with us I think they're actually slaughtered in for next week. Oh, oh, well. Yeah, I hope gonna, we have a good set of questions for to They've been quarantining for the past 13 days. We gotta respect the rules of COVID, guys. Yeah. Always quarantine. Wear your mask while you have a sesh. Yes, if you are having a sesh with strangers down at the Wolfville pub, that's what we should do is do a session at a pub. At the Anvil? Not at the Anvil. <laughs> if we went to, like, upstairs in the lib pump or something and just did a session there, I mean, we wouldn't be any louder or more obnoxious than if we were just having a conversation. And they definitely wouldn't be like, oh, you can't roll the dice on the table in here. You're like, why the fuck not? Would you just start speaking in random, like, accents while you were there? for? I don't do too many crazy accents, I don't think. I'd, I have some silly ones, but it's not like every... Uh, session there's one character who has an Irish accent one character who has like a Texas accent one character who speaks like droop I'm just thinking like there's so many times where I'm like fearful that I can't keep this accent going like I'll get like one line off I'm like fuck I gotta maintain this I get that a lot too when I'll be speaking with Nebrio or something I'll start off and I'll be like you are going to release me from the trap at the top of the tower. (laughs) And then, at the end, he's like, yeah, and uh, so I'll see you up there. (laughs) starts talking in a super casual voice. (laughs) Yeah, it's just me trying to explain something. It's like, well, no, he hooked up the portal to the thing where you hold up the sky, and uh, it's just me trying to struggle to explain it and just completely breaking out of the voice. Mm -hmm. It really... Yeah, you just gotta really get into the characters, I find, when you're doing those like accents and whatnot. That's like that's why I like Kyle so much, is that's such an easy voice for me to do that I don't have to hesitate to improv with him. I can just improv like it's my own voice. Yeah. So it's so much easier. Also characters with that have a little catchphrase? And he's like, Whoa, bogus! Bogus, man. That's that's radical, bro. We gotta get that surfer vibe Kyle back. I instantly killed him yesterday. It would be fun to play someone like that who wasn't an idiot. Who was just a genuinely good guy. Yeah. It's like, here, do you need help crossing the street? (laughs) I think Kyle had some potential. Let me help you with your groceries. (laughs) I need to help this old lady across. I think you dropped this. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday we made so many Skyrim references and just like, just video, like, video game noises from, like, Minecraft? Yeah, because I think what happened was someone, like, shot an arrow from the forest at the, at the target, at the assassinate, at the assassinee, if that's a word. The assassinator and the assassinee. I don't know if that's a word, but I know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> he looked up for a while and then did one of those, oh, must have been the wind. <laughs> The classic Horrible sneaking Fucking engine That they had In Skyrim Someone just gets Sniped beside them Like what Who's there <laughs> Literally like Arrow sticking Into their skull Ah Must be those rats <sighs> Yeah Could've sworn I heard something That was one thing I used to always hate It kinda like broke The realism And the sneaking aspect But I don't know It's a video game Yeah The sneaking Definitely way too OP In that game it is very easy to be a sneaking warrior. The stealth archer. Stealth archer every time. I love the slow motion zoom in on that. We're getting a little off topic, but I love the slow-mo archery where you can just track them down and let go of the arrow. Oh. And then it goes into the slow-mo arrow the kill shooting in. Yeah. I loved when they added... They added a lot of different animations, actually, in Skyrim when one update. And there's, like, different kill cams for, like, spell damage Ooh. or, like, arrows... And the also, Spell just, ones are kind of ridiculous because they always just like fly away. There, there's some fucked physics in those games. But um, yeah, we are getting a little off topic here from the D&D. But that is one of my huge inspirations. Is Skyrim? Me. Skyrim, 100%. Um, especially with just like, I guess how um, NPCs sort of like walk and talk around to people. I think the biggest inspiration that I would pull from something like Skyrim is how to set up a town. Yeah. When I'm thinking of town that i walk into in skyrim there's so many buildings that you can go in and there's something interesting in every single building and that's something that's really difficult to do as a dm obviously because you don't have a whole team of people and it's not your day job to come up with subplots for every single little npc that you run into Mm -hmm. but something that you can pull is okay well there's a person over here that sells armor there's a blacksmith there's someone who sells jewelry there's someone who does I think the blood hunters I pulled from Skyrim um one thing I struggle with as a DM sometimes like knowing how much detail to put into like a like a room for example yeah or, like, how much do your players care really. yeah like how much do they really care about this one side character here like you know yeah. what I mean if I'm gonna spend 15 minutes setting up this uh, scene they better be interested in it in my first session I always want to put a lot of detail into the pretty well everything yeah, it's good in the primary sessions to really give that world building, and then after a while you're just like, okay, let's just get into it. I want to thwack some stuff. I want to I want to get to combat. I want to like show off my character. I love starting new movies. campaigns and making new characters, but I think what I like so much more is, hold on, I said the hiccups. Is really getting into a character and having those inside jokes and those flashback moments and. Telling each other your backstories and having that woven into the story. I'll never forget when you brought up Father Nallium into that voice for the first time. I never got more of a kick out of something than maybe, like, the high school. Oh, set. that was so funny. I don't even... Some... The thing about making NPCs that your players love is that you never expect it to happen. No. you Like, some, and then you have some characters who will play out that, like... The way they interact with an NPC you would have never predicted. Yeah. Like I had two NPCs in the one bar. One of them was Azos. One of them was uh, Dallas. Mm -hmm. You didn't really end up liking either of them. Who became really memorable was the guard that you met outside afterwards who was an idiot named Rickland, completely made up on the spot and just followed you guys around eventually leading to his, where he died in a yeah we demonic lost, sacrifice we lost a lot of npcs throughout our campaign um, way more in yours than in mine though we've but also put also in the way earlier. more time yeah mine's in the earlier stages i but the thing that i love about my campaign is it's such a contrast in morality we are the most <laughs> evil little bastards the, what is it? The Murder of Crows? Murder of Crows. Sweet name. Shout out to John for that one. Shout out, big shout out to John for that one. Shout out one. to John. He's a day one. John, man, like, honestly, when you're coming up for, like, a graphic for us, if you could come up with a name, maybe, like, as good as Murder of Crows, like, I'd be to hear it. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see some of this art that you can produce. Yeah. Oh, my God, Ooh. we're going to get fan art. We're going to get fan art. Yes. We should make that a segment. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> If any of the listeners wanna write any fanfics about Okay, I didn't ask for the fanfics. <laughs> I did not ask for the intimate thing. Not the intimate fi- <laughs> bring you back to the intimacy. <laughs> I understand what you meant by that. It was just funny that you were like had to clarify afterwards. Like, yeah, I don't I know. mean that in a weird way. I don't not saying no homo. <laughs> but... <laughs> we are a podcast that cares about all uh, sexualities. It's yeah. okay if you're into dudes but we didn't mean intimacy in that way. And it's okay if your character's into dudes and you're not. Hey, man, like, sometimes you really gotta get into this method of acting. You can't just play a straight male every time. That's why Gwen is, has been a fun character to sort of get to know and play with, because, one, in this two-player campaign that we have, as the, as the DMPC Gwen, she is your gateway into the world the one who knows a little bit about it and is able to show you around knows where the capital is has a backstory here you guys are sort of just getting into it for the first time but she's also the first character who I've spent a lot of time with who's a female
1: because, yeah
0: because almost all of I'm gonna admit that a lot of the NPCs that I come up with are men one because it's easier for me to role play But two, it's sort of just this thing that I do unconsciously that I should try to... Steer away from it. Steer away from. So that's why I wanted... I didn't want it to be weird where you guys were, you know, uh, hanging out with this girl all the time and wondering, like, you know, how much... Like, you guys can make, like, dick jokes and stuff, but, like, at what point is it weird for me to make a joke about, like you know fucking NBC but I'm a girl character like if it's a guy character it's no problem to be like oh I'd like to see her without her armor on yeah but if Gwen says that you guys are like oh uh yeah okay Gwen we're just sitting there like you're almost as the DM you, you just you want to avoid that situation but at the same time In it's just situation? like you need to make it where you're making your players uncomfortable well, like when you're or making where, or when you're just role playing as a woman in like those sexual moments, it's just like, well, oh. this is not something I'm I'm used to, obviously. Yeah, but at the same time, it it kind of ruins the realism of the world. Yeah, if it's just like this person is strictly off limits from joking around with you guys about like sex or whatever, or of... this person is forbidden from having like it's. I guess it's different between if you guys found like an NPC that you were really into and like wanted them to be your partner i don't think i would have a huge problem Mm -hmm. doing that i guess i don't know what the difference then would be between that and gwen doing that i guess it's just because then i would have to really commit to it and stuff like that it's another female to commit to in terms of characters um i was gonna in my campaign with um What's his name? I, guess, I, yeah, I, I f- wanted to write in like a character because of that love note you wrote. Yeah, exactly. I, I sort of asked you for that for that character to be made. Yeah. And I don't think it would be weird if she showed up, and was like, "Thurman, like, oh my god, it's been so long since I've seen you." Uh, I'd like that. That makes sense narratively, and it's, that it's not like romance literally doesn't exist in these worlds. Uh, And it can be a lot of fun to give that fulfilling feeling to your character sometimes. Because otherwise, they're just, you know, like Harlow. They're just robots. That's not a slight to Harlow. Shout out to Harlow. Harlow was actually one of my favorite characters. Harlow is a really interesting character because he doesn't know who he is. And his whole arc is finding that out. And he has these little flashbacks. It's kind of like it's budding into something that's going to be one of the most difficult encounters I'd imagine. You think so? I think that that I, I like diving into the background of characters with like specific missions like that because it helps bring a party together I think. Yeah. That and it was, makes you appreciate like where the characters come from too. That was like when we went back to the monastery I tried to really put a lot of effort into that session because you are bringing a character back home but the player has never been there. So you have to really make it feel like this character has a sense of belonging here without the player feeling like they're alienated. So you want to include a lot of description, but you want to lay it out so that your character is able to pick it up easily. I see what you're saying. We definitely that was one of the sessions that I love the most. Actually. Was the was one of the ones at the monastery? Yeah. It's just like it was genuinely like frightening because it was just so dark. And it was dark. S- Nebrio is involved. Oh, that one in the monastery. Oh, you mean you meant the earlier one? Oh, I the meant very the early one. the one he first came back and went into uh, his room and stuff. But I know the one that you're talking about when you guys talked to Nebrio in the basement. Yeah. That was a little bit improved, or at least wasn't the initial use for the room. I sort of. There's something that I like to do is set up these little. Plots that your players can reach out and interact with, and if they don't, you have this hidden doorway that no one is allowed to go in. That later you can, if you need a place for your bad guy to be held. Oh, there's this secret door that you guys neglected to interact with back here, or um, on the map that I sent you guys of West Area that I made awfully in Paint. <laughs> it was. A valiant effort. Moment. It was a valiant effort. <laughs> I did put too much time in it for it to be very good. <laughs> the, the paint, the Microsoft paint skills were definitely in full force for that one. But... Yeah, I was definitely sweated <laughs> that one. Out. But I left a couple towns on there that you guys hadn't been to as like, you know, if I only put the towns you guys had been to, that pretty much p- neglects the possibility of anything else coming from it. Um, the one, uh, town that Argo said he got his fishing gear from oh. is a town, is the town that Gwen is from, I think. Oh, what's her, the race of people we called them? Githyanki. That's such a, well, did you come up with that name? No. It's actually, it's a thing. It's an actual thing in the, yeah. the lore? Yeah. It is, the, the, I don't know if their memories all working together as one over all generations is a thing. I think they have some sort of hive mind with the people who are alive. Damn. But they don't have that ancestral pullback. That was something that I came up with because I wanted her to have a short lifespan for whatever reason. I just thought it would be cool to have a race that just, like, dies in their prime. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to make that not as, like, a curse but, like, a trade. So she has this power to look back through all her ancestors but all their ancestors only ever lived to 34 years old or whatever. It reminds me so much of, like, Assassin's Creed and how the lore in that game works with, like, memories. Because, like, you, in a way, are made up of all these generations previous in your family. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of cool if we could unlock that part of our brain. Just, like, imagine you can remember all of those memories that they experienced. That's sort of like what elves do when they trance. Like, a couple times yeah. I've brought up in the campaign that what elves do when they trance... In their first hundred years, I think of life is they're recalling adventures from their past lives, mm-hmm. and they're like reliving them, and those trances sort of fade in intensity as they get older, and so they start to adventure to fill the void that they
1: they have left
0: there now because yeah because, because of they're fading. not getting those trances anymore. That's sad. It is kind of sad, but it also is just like. Give some di- purpose. Carpe diem. True. I suppose. But um, yeah. Playing with the idea, I, th- I like how elves aren't just like how it is in Tolkien where they can literally just live forever. Yeah. That kind of is cheese. This is a, a problem that I think comes up in a lot of campaigns and comes up in a lot of forums that I've seen is how you grapple with certain races aging so differently. I suppose. It really does depend, though, how long the campaign goes on. For. Yeah, it does, but, I mean, it's just weird that, like, you can have a human who's, like, 19 years old and is pretty much, you know, has already done his coming-of-age stuff, and he's, like, you know, a young man, and you have an elf who's, like, 80 years old and True. is still kind of, like, a little bit childish. But, I mean... Like, that's just another part of the D&D that's awesome, It's just, like, there's so much creativity when it comes to characters, and there's so many options there. And on the other end of the scale, you have, you know, let's say you have an elf who lives for 500 years. Let's say, you know, it's a druid who lives for, uh, you get, like, timeless body or something. It's called something different, maybe. Anyways, you basically live for, like, ten times your normal age. So they live for like 5,000 years if they're like a level 20 druid or level 17 druid or something like that. It's like Yoda shit. Exactly. But <laughs> the the thing that comes with that is if you are friends with, you grow up in like, you're an elf in an all human society.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People around you are just going to be dying all the time and you're just going to be outliving them. We have had some amazing like emotional moments in terms of people like dying in our campaign, man. Like, uh, like who? I think the one that really got to me was like learning about Gwen and just like the way that she ended up dying with her family. Not dying with Gwen. Or like, yeah, her family died in her dream. Yeah. In that dream that we had. Yeah. And l- we like, saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense because, um, she, you know, according to her family tradition, she should have a kid by now. Mm hmm. And so, but because if she doesn't have a kid soon, then she's going to die. But we have the pocket watch. Exactly. Which is also I think a we're stopwatch. getting too campaign specific. This is true. This is, we're sort of um, alienating those who haven't, are in our campaign. So let's answer a couple questions maybe and then we'll uh, wrap it up. Nathan said he wants to play between 8 and 9.30. So are you staying down or are you heading back? I think we both know the answer to that one. Yeah, boy. <laughs> uh, we'll have to figure out what we want to do for dinner. This is true, but it is Thanksgiving, and Nate, we are getting off topic again. Did Nate Let's, ask any questions? No, I didn't ask him for questions because he's driving. Damn it! Well, we can turn to some of our questions that we had for ourselves. See if there's one topic that we had that you want to answer, and then all John sent us a lot of questions that I'll <laughs> go through. So. Um, you start talking about one of the topics that you want to talk about, and then I'll read these. Oh, okay. Um, what about our favorite kind of encounters? Encounters in bars. Encounters in bars. Talk about how you set up an encounter in a bar. Um, I think when I I think I always use the bar encounters, especially like when you're starting off a campaign. Just because everyone's like, it's it's there. It's it's a social setting, and like. For example, you can have someone start off coming into a bar and then stabbing you in the back because they think you're someone else, and it just completely derails and takes you to a social situation that you never thought was going to occur. Uh, yeah. The bars are also a good place to sit down with the NPC across the table and just, you know, go, uh, what makes you tick? What makes you t- But also, like, you-, you can just have such variety in a bar. Like, it's not going to be, like, just, like, a bunch of humans in there, you know? Like, it's yeah. going to be... It's a town with a lot of different life forms, it's not, and that's the like I was saying. Like that's the best part about D and D. In terms of my favorite social encounters, uh, I really wish I was better at it. But I love the puzzles aspect of D and D, and I wish I could. You guys are gonna have a p- couple puzzles more. tonight? Actually, maybe just one. Like when we had the puzzle when we were in the college. First, oh the door of politeness. The door of politeness was a really good one that one was a lot of fun because you guys were really getting not angry but you really getting worked up about it yeah and that's the best when you're in a game like skyrim you're trying to figure out the puzzle and you just can't get it and you're like i'm gonna fucking get this and you can't just look it up in no. the walkthrough because it's all on the dm it's all in the dm's mind we don't have a walkthrough to theo geeson yeah <laughs> Um, the, the podcast is where I sort of explain the mechanics, the real workings inside this big brain, the biggest brain on the pod. <laughs> 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 Was there anything else? I I don't want to feel like we have to force this early cause I'm having a good time. I know. Um, we could ask like two more questions. Uh, John sent us a bunch of questions. So why don't we, why don't we turn there? Okay. Um, this is not this is a quick one. Let's do let's do a lightning round. Okay. What is the best class you've played and why? Oh, that's a really good question. That's from John. Thank you, John. Really good question, John. I think if I was to answer this really quickly in a lightning round, I'd probably have to say sorcerer. But that's kind of biased because I've had so much time with it and right. I've had to explore it at a really high level. Mm-hmm. If I'm giving a better, cooler answer, it would probably be the class that everyone hates to have. Rogue? I used a rogue uh, ranger in a one-shot very recently, and, like, I didn't love the... Like, I think we didn't get to roleplay that much because it was quick, but the combat scenarios and doing so much sneak attack damage is just... You feel like a badass. Oh, yeah. Like, creating a character around just doing a lot of damage is a lot of fun. I think that that's a very... This isn't, like, to knock this style of play, but I think... and. Of I fall into this as well but creating OB characters who want to do a fuck ton of damage is a very new D&D angle to come at it I think whereas the more like experienced angle is like okay I'm going to be selling the next X amount of months with this character let's build something that's going to be really fun and unique for me to play whereas you know you lock yourself in and it's like well if I want to play the Hexblade Warlock that's most optimized I should use a, a Tiefling to maximize my charisma score. It's like, well, do you even want to play a tiefling? I, um, when I first came up with the idea for me and Nate to use, like, high elves, I 100% just went off of that based off of, like, what I thought would be a cool character design. Like, how it would look. I didn't think about so much, oh, like, this character's gonna have a boost to their uh, charisma, so my sorcerer's gonna be 10 times better when he's casting spells. Like, that wasn't the aim to be I, fair, as a draconic bloodline sorcerer, Dex is really good for you because that determines your has a, an influence on your AC. AC. Yeah, it's true, but like. But yeah, that you're saying that wasn't planned. That was just something that you wanted to play. Yeah, I honestly a huge part of it was like I thought high elves looked so cool in Skyrim. I, I fed a everyone lot Skyrim. hates high elves, and you seem to like them a lot. I I just. You know what it is like in are depicted as these like super evil characters, and for me personally, I I was initially kind of wanting to be an evil guy, as Tyrion. I as did Tyrion? get that vibe early on, but um, it kind of just turned into this Obi Wan type, and I was like wanted to like always kind of meme around with some of like the sayings that Obi Wan yeah. does. I think one of the balances that's hard to strike is the difference between good and evil because it's fun for you guys to be the heroes and people like you and recognize you and um you get rewards for doing good things but in the campaign you dm we just take and you guys take are and like take and kill Heath. Led- Heath ledger joker yeah and <laughs> you know sometimes you want to just be like sometimes i want to be the good guy and have people you know care about me and respect that like i've done these good deeds to help them out and Yeah, so I think that's just something we'll have to explore further because maybe being evil has other rewards that aren't just getting cool shit when you take them from the bodies that you've killed. Sorry to get off topic on the question there, John. That was, that best, was something I the Best about, class, though. you said sorcerer, maybe, just from experience. Sorcerer or rogue range. I also really like multi-classing. multi-classing that's is, something I want to explore multi-classing more. Multi-classing is definitely fun. I'll say that the best class that I've... The question is, what's the best class you've played? So, I think it would be pretty fair to say Sorcerer for you, because I think it's a lot better than Barbarian. Definitely.
1: There's Um, just so many more
0: opportunities and chances that you can, like, completely shift the campaign. I've played three characters. The first one was Caspian Wayfinder, a sea elf, who who was a ranger. That was the one where Nathan was DMing? Yeah. He was a really interesting character. He had a fishbowl around his head that was filled with water because he can't breathe air. It was like a reverse Sandy Squirrel. But what happens if that would have burst? Like, what if somebody, sh- like, stabbed That was you? just one of his weaknesses. That could have killed you. Exactly. But I love those baked-in problems that you ha- will have to solve for yourself. Mm-hmm. It just adds so much more flavor to the campaign. So, he wasn't... Ranger wasn't very good. It was fun, but it wasn't very good. Wouldn't say it's the best. That's then good. we have the Paladin Sorcerer mix that I used for one session. That was It's one of the most OP builds, and I just wanted to try it out because it's just so sweaty. But Hexblade Warlock was something that I played because I thought it was fun, and it has been very fun. You're also the face of that party. That is That being the face of the party gives you a lot of room to roleplay and sort of step out and introduce yourself to all of the NPCs. <laughs> you but got you, into a little bit of a... Interesting sexual encounter in your very uh, first session with yeah, Had a threesome. <laughs> when you've had more threesomes in D and D than you have in real life. <laughs> Man, who knows? Maybe the podcast will lead that <laughs> lead you to different <laughs> outcomes. John or Nathan, are you listening? <laughs> John and Nathan, do you know anyone? <laughs> yeah, maybe not Nathan. He's taken. I just meant like if they knew girls. Oh. I meant with them. <laughs> 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 when the intimacy was really meant in that way that you said it wasn't. <laughs> when the roleplay gets a little too heavy. <laughs> uh, should we take one more from John? Let's take one more from John. Um, we'll go down to John's avenue. And then maybe we'll close out with one more little question. And then we'll wrap it up. I don't know how long we've been going on for. Let me check. Where's the time? An hour and ten minutes. This is a Holy. this is a beefy pod. This is a thick sode. <laughs> the fans are really, you know, getting a treat on this one. Listen, the viewership. Just wait for those. The numbers. viewership is gonna drop for this episode because one third of my listeners are on the <laughs> podcast. We're gonna have two views. <laughs> What are we going to do? Listen? I'll, I'll play it in the background whenever I'm at home just to put those view numbers up. What if we just <laughs> listened to it right after we recorded it? Well, that's what real editors would do. I know, and I'm, <laughs> there's no fucking way I'm editing this monster, this monstrosity of a podcast. I, I used to love editing, honestly, just for like like videos I would do for class, but editing something that's an hour plus is... Yeah, uh, maybe. This isn't my job. Maybe uh, once we get the bitch out there, we get some five-star reviews. Once we get the NAD pod guests to really boost our numbers, once once we hit, I'll say once we hit five episodes, I'll look into posting it on iTunes. That that is when the monetization. And we need. I'll probably have to. I'll probably have to. Pay some stuff. Someone has to. Someone has to host the podcast, and then you send in a a feed. Into. What if you got sponsored by like Acadia? <laughs> Acadia, if you're listening. I need the cash. Acadia Drama Society? Acadia <laughs> Role Play Society. There's probably a couple of those unofficial. I, want, I wonder if you could start a and d club. You know, like, they had clubs, like, the club fairs. If there was a and d one, I don't wonder if anyone would actually join. I actually was considering for my business in one of my venture creation classes was, uh, creating, like, a and d bar where, like, you would go and it would be, like, um... Like, maybe it's an online community, too, where it's a oh, subscription that model. That would be really fun. But also, it could have been, like, a physical bar where you actually just go and meet people who are interested in D&D. Yeah, or, like, what we were saying with lib pub, Just go down to the go down to the pub, play some D&D there, have some drinks, have, a ser- like, servers just coming over, get giving you pictures. You guys are having a great time in the bar. It I think... Could be, like, live music there. Like, that's, like, fantasy sort of themed. Exactly. Actually. That would be a really fun way... I think we were talking about this earlier. I almost got into it is that, Oh yeah, I got off topic, but I was going to say that my enjoyment for D and D has gotten to the point where, um, I would maybe consider dipping into it as a career, not a career, but like a way to make money. 100%. And yeah. th- like, that would be the ideal career because you just, we, you love D and D so much. Yeah. I, I love love D- I would love that. Yeah. Could be the best writing. Ever. Either writing modules, playtesting testing monsters. Um, literally writing for D and D. Writing like for them. The books. Uh, another really interesting thing that I've thought of is doing. Um, you know how I did my um, my thesis on second person narration. Taking that to the next step. And you focusing bind, you strictly on that thing. It's <laughs> over there. Did you see it? Yeah, man. It looks really nice. Clean as fuck. Did you like see the actual physical copy or just the picture? I just saw the picture. Okay, but... yeah, we'll look at it after. <laughs> but fo- taking, writing a paper focusing on the second person narration aspect of role-playing games because whenever I'm writing for my sessions, it always starts with you guys walk into the tower and immediately the lights go out. You aren't even able to see the hand in front of your face. Uh Everything is, everything is you. And that's what, I mean, we won't get too far into this because this is not a literary theory podcast, but that's what second person narration essentially is, is that, is that inserting yourself in the, in the narrative. And I think that one of the reasons that D and D is so popular is because of its second person choose your own adventure style. Yeah, and we love. I love those books as kids. Exactly, and the the appeal is a little bit of the same thing, where you're you have this agency, air quotes agency, where you get to choose your own adventure, and that's. But I, hey, that's just a theory. That's an illusion. That's why a I use literary the air device theory. <laughs> that's why I use the air quotes. Um, why don't we get into one more question? Let's get gritty on one more question. Okay, give Give me one of Johns. Okay, This one's a, let, me, let me read one of these beefy ones. We can decide if we want to do it. As a DM, if one of your players have a good idea for a character or a monster that would be interesting for the campaign, would you help him get it work or let him figure it out on his own? Well, I like this question because I feel like it's something I don't do enough and it's ask my players for like ideas that they want to see. Yeah, uh, you should always ask. I think for feedback from your players, like that's yeah. a huge like well of information that you could potentially get for your campaign. Yeah, because it's, I sometimes feel maybe this is just because of DM so much, and not played so much. But I feel the role of the DM is to be the <laughs> caterer, is to be the person who uh, takes the responsibility, not a burden necessarily, but takes it on himself. And it's their job to make sure everyone else is having fun. Not that they're not having fun at the same time, but it's their job to make sure everyone's having fun. Yeah, and... And it's not... I'll clarify quickly, because this is controversial, if it's only on the DM. But the players, you know, it's not like if you... um, It's not on the players a little bit to have fun. Like, they also need to pull their weight. In terms of creativity, you mean? Yeah, it's not like all on the DM. It's like, if the DM is doing a bad job, then it's impossible to have fun, or something like that. I do oh, That's an interesting topic, though. If you have a shit DM? Yeah. I think... We probably will have to say that, because this is going... This is dragging out. Not gonna lie.
1: What's podcast let's, like, over. Okay, let's
0: try to get back to the question here. Yeah. F- helping your players. Yeah, anyways, what I was saying is it's your job as a DM to make sure your players are having fun. And if they want an item... Or, like, I saw this really cool item that's in Unearthed Arcana that's coming out. Or um, do you think that I could modify um, the instead maybe? of instead of a magic yeah modify this or i want to play this race but i really like this trait from this other uh race that's um, something that i think as a dm you should always try to help your players do because uh rule of cool man like yeah it's it's like if it sounds cool and in, in your head you're like this could work in my campaign it's not going to derail anything i had planned then why not help that person exactly sure. and that's kind of why i wanted you guys to multi-class freely a little bit is just try out other classes and stuff like that and not be penalized for it. So to this question, I would say as a DM, if your players has a good idea for a character, uh, absolutely help them work that into the campaign. Ask them for what kind of scenarios they want to see too. And also make sure to thank your DMS. Make sure to, yeah, give them, give them their, give them a gift. Give them, Bring them a beer on the session. Bring them the case of beer they asked for. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, also, bring up some beers when you're having that session, because it makes it that much more fun. Uh, I don't think the liquor store is open, is it? Because I don't think we're going to be getting beers for this session. We might be a little bit pressed for that. But we have some kush. We do have some (laughs) kush. Let's hit one more lightning round question, and then we'll wrap it up. All right. This is an easy one. Are improv's good to create a nice experience on the campaign. I think every once in a while I should throw an improv out there, because for one it just helps you with your improving skills, but yeah. two, uh, like we've kind of said, it's the improv sessions has created like the most memorable moments. Yeah, they're just so <laughs> funny. They're so outlandish. They're so like left field, and they're just sitting there like, "Well, this just happened," like <laughs> Mitch Marner Farmer. Couldn't think of a name on the spot. Brilliant. Should have. That's an example of bad improv skills creating a ba- a great moment. Because I, w- I was scolding my players for never asking for the name of the bartender. And they were asking him to go help them slay a dragon. He's like, you haven't even asked me what my name is. Why would I go with you? And they're like, alright, what's your name? And I didn't have a name for him. I was like, uh... Looks over at Jersey on the wall. Looks over at the Jersey on the wall. <laughs> Mitch Marner. <laughs> uh is that your first name yes and my last name is farmer <laughs> <laughs> mitch Miner farmer it just rolls off the tongue <laughs> one of the the best names that's ever come out of a D session that we've been in improbbed but yeah so like improving always good in dnd you should do it not maybe not every session have some like basis notes there is a lot of your world. players will pull shit on you every single session that you're gonna have to improv your way out of and you're going to have to deal with some of those situations that arise. But yeah, I think doing <laughs> sessions like what we did last night where you go in and you're like, I have absolutely no notes. Let's see what happens. Helps you for when you're doing a real campaign and you have to improv, you know, your characters, go see this person who you hadn't fully flushed out yet. So now you have to make this person worth their while and maybe give them a little plot hook and send them on something. I feel like there's going to be some interesting plot twists coming up in our campaign. There's definitely going to be a mark left on the session after today. That is, if you guys get through these traps quick enough, it could be another half an hour on a puzzle for babies. Listen, you guys are trying to give me a shot clock for how quick I use my spells. <laughs> Ooh, that's funny. Like the, ch- like the chess games where you have to, like... You only have five minutes that you can use for the whole D&D session of you thinking about your turn. And if you run out, then you have to auto-punch uh, the nearest person. auto It could even be your teammate. It could even be you. Myself? Yes. Oh my god. Well... Strict DMs are the best DMs. I think... That's a good place to end it. I think we've reached our conclusion. Thank you to Nathan and John preemptively for listening to this. Nathan, we're going to get you on. Nathan, we're going to get you on. John, we're going to get you up to Nova Scotia. 100%. The in-person session needs to happen. (laughs) That has been an episode of The OG Pod. I was your guest. It was great for being on, Thea. Oh, well, thanks for having me. This is... uh, almost an hour longer than the last one which makes it so much easier <laughs> when you're not just talking to yourself <laughs> I'll, de- I'll definitely continue with the solo ones but it would be great if you know anytime you're down like we're, we're going to see i think i think i'll be on it a couple more times <laughs> you heard it here first folks david eames is going to be on next weekend uh, i don't know about no that promises. One. <laughs> all right take care folks see you guys